Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. Welcome to another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. We're broadcasting live here from the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica in the heart of Silicon Beach. So have a, have a seat. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about ICANN's increasingly controversial proposed changes to its who is standards and whether or not you can do privacy domain protect status. And we have with us Mark Jeffowitz. He is Jeffowitz. He is the founder and CEO of EasyDNS, and he has been a, a proponent, an opponent of the current proposal, and uh, has an interesting piece on confessions of an ex-opponent of who is privacy. And so we're going to talk about his conversion, and then the second half, because we we could talk about a, a hitchhiking robot that got killed in Philadelphia, or we can talk about the last days of the House of Blues and the Hollywood Sunset Strip. And we have Sunset Strip legend Nigel Shanley is going to join us to talk about his favorite memories from the House of Blues. So, but with us right now is Mark. Are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. Thank you for joining us. And I'm going to say a couple of things that should make you proud to be Canadian. First, and Mark is joining us from Toronto. First, I want to give hats off to Canadians. Um, they had quite an epic month last month. They hosted the the World Cup of Women's World Cup in soccer, which was just a spectacular event. They did a great job, and then they just hosted the Pan American Games, and which was a great success in Toronto. And you know, amazingly, they beat the U.S. in baseball and men and women's basketball. So quite a great achievement. But the thing that will really make you proud to be a Canadian is that here in the U.S., it is National Underwear Day. Um, I, have, <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but I, I think I'd rather not know. So, <laughs> But thank you for joining us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about EasyDNS? Well, we started out in uh, 1998 as one of the first pure play managed DNS providers. So we were just handling DNS for people when Network Solutions was the monopoly registrar for .com.org registrations. Then in 2000, when ICANN came along, took over management of the route, opened it up to competition, we first started offering those services as well as a reseller of OpenSRS to cows. We still work pretty closely with them today, and we became directly accredited in 03. And in, and then up here in Canada, .ca made a similar uh, reinvention of itself in 2001, and we were directly accredited under .ca then as well. So since since 98, we've been doing a pure play managed DNS kind of operation, and then later, in after a few years, we added registrar capabilities. And so some people know us mainly as a domain registrar, and some people know us as you know a DNS provider and some people know us as a bit of both and then plus you know a lot of people follow your blog on domain issues 
And that's apparently I, so. Yeah, <laughs> that's how that's how I, I came across your your interesting piece, "Confessions of an Ex Opponent of Who Is Privacy." When you say an ex opponent of who is privacy, you mean you were reluctant to recognize the value of it? We we weren't only reluctant to recognize the value of it. I, you know, I didn't see it at first. I just thought that who is privacy was not a good thing because I had this belief that if you connect computers to the internet, you have a certain responsibility for accountability. And it mainly came down to things like email and spamming and junk right. mail and that sort of thing. I figure I have the right to not accept email from you if your domain is anonymized. And uh, there's also some other, some other problems with who is privacy as it was implemented in the early days, which we thought this is, this is a serious risk to the registrant of a domain name because when you turn on who is privacy, you don't actually own your domain anymore or you're not the rights holder. I mean, there's, there's always been this, this gray area as to whether domains are property or whether they're just a set of rights that accrue to the rights holder. But in any case, if it's property or if it's rights, you don't have them anymore once you turn on who is privacy, especially in the early days of it. And we thought that's a serious risk that a lot of people are overlooking. It came to came home to roost during the register fly meltdown when an ICANN registrar basically became insolvent and imploded and fell apart. And, and a lot of people who had who is privacy turned on using that registrar lost some of those domains. But then in later years... You know, eventually we just relented. So many people were leaning on us to do it. We we figured we could turn it on and make a few adjustments to it so that number one, you can specify your own entity as the as the legal registrant of the domain, even if everything else is anonymized. So that still puts you in control of the domain. And then there were some other changes made in the way registrars have to uh, back up or escrow their data so that when somebody has who is privacy turned on, the underlying data now gets escrowed instead of just the masked data. So it's a lot safer now. And now that we've been offering it, um, I see the value in it. I have to confess, I use it all the time myself on domains, and I'm thinking, where was this? Where has this been all my life? So I do, I do think it's it's pretty useful, pretty valuable in the right circumstances. So let's let's back up just a little bit for those who may not be totally familiar with the issue. When you register a site, you you have to fill out certain registration information, and that is readily searchable in each registrar's WHOIS database, and as well as aggregate WHOIS databases. And WHOIS privacy is signing up with whatever services offered by that registrar that uh, anonymizes your information on the WHOIS registry. And so with, with I think, one exception, it, it basically will just list the proxy server service and as the contact and both the administrative and the um, technical contact, and there'll be no information indicating that you own the site or you have any contact with the connection with the site. I think it was a network solutions has something where they, they list the owner, but everything else is kept is references the proxy. Is that, that a fair summation? Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's not just network solutions that lists the owner and, and then anonymizes everything else because that was, that was our initial implementation of who is privacy was to offer that as well. But you can think of it as having an unlisted phone number because a lot of people who register domain names aren't even aware that this database exists. And it's called the Whois database. That's why you're going to hear the word Whois about a million times in this interview. You register, you register a domain name and it gets put into the Whois database. And that database is publicly accessible and everyone can see it because it's a legacy artifact that goes back to the really early days of the internet where very few computers were connected to it and you just needed a mechanism to be able to establish contact with other network operators and know how to find out who runs a given domain or host name. So your details get put in that right away. It gets harvested in real time by spam bots and robots. And, and especially if you're a registrant who doesn't even know that this thing exists, 
all you know is you register a domain name and anywhere from one day to five minutes later, you're getting spam email and junk faxes and things like that. First thing you think is my registrar just sold my data. Right. Uh, But what's really happening is your data is being harvested. So then, you know, the evolution, you know, the way things evolved, registrars invented who is privacy and, uh, and that's sort of, that's how that came about. And, and so just to address that, it seems, and I don't, it may just be the, the evolution happened unrelated or maybe it's entirely related, but when Congress in the U.S. passed the Can Spam Act, and you know, one of the things that was important is that you, the, you use a real uh, email address. And so at the time, it, it, with the understanding then was people could always just look up who that sender is using who is. And mm-hmm. then once can spam passes, all of a sudden you see these, these the growth of proxy services, and you know it, that may have happened anyway, just because of you know the internet was still an early stage, and you know harassing people online was was just was hasn't quite the art form it is now. But it, that that seemed to partially defeat, I think, one of the purposes of the the, the federal law. Yeah, I mean, I'm not overly familiar with can spam because we're in Canada. And, right, you and just had yours recently. But CASL yeah. just passed last year. That's correct. Uh, but you know, I, I completely understand the rationale that you should not be able to send broadcast emails from an anonymized or proxy address. Right? I mean, that was that was the sort of underlying impetus behind our original opposition to who is. I mean, not who is who is privacy, rather. So ICANN, which you know, runs the domain system, has several initiatives in re- respect to who is. And mm-hmm. one is the proposal that has caused everyone to have concern is that you can't use who is privacy for commercial ventures. I, I think that's a really oversimplified reading of it, but that's one of the possible outcomes depending on where the you know where this policy process goes. Uh, but it basically does make it a lot easier. It really lowers the barrier for having a who is proxy taken down and having the underlying results revealed to a third party who's asking for it. And, and we, we'll, that, we'll get into the details of that, but I just want to, to just frame that and come back to it. There's the second, they're, all, they're also working at um, requiring registrars to verify who is information. And yeah. That's, that's, yeah. So each registrar, when they renew, now has to take steps to verify that the who is information of the people who um, are re- their registered users. Right. Well, thank God the renewal requirement got taken out by the registrars who were involved in the original policy development process because that would be even more nightmarish than it is now. But the, the, that's, it's the who is accuracy process that you're talking about. It only triggers if, there, if there's a change to the existing details. And so a new registration triggers it, but that's not catastrophic because it's not the end of the world if a brand new domain right. goes offline. Uh, but the tricky parts are when you update your Whois record to new information or if what's called a WDRP notice mm-hmm which is a who is data reminder policy notice. If, if one of those used to be able to safely ignore those, but now if one of them bounces, that triggers the initiation of a who is accuracy process. And then finally, a registrar transfer triggers it. And that's, that one's pretty bad too because, again, registrar is left holding the bag. Somebody transfers a register domain from one registrar to another, and all of a sudden, if they're not aware or cognizant of all these different policies, 15, later, 15 days later, their domain stops working. And this could be a domain that holds up a piece of the internet. Right. And all the registrant knows is, hey, I don't know what's going on. I came to you to transfer my domain to you, and suddenly everything is down. Right, it's your That's fault. all the registrant knows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So while that's happening, so a lot is happening in, in who is in an area where it's safe to say there hasn't been a whole lot that has happened in the last 15 years or at least 10 years. 
And while that is going on, ICANN has another group that is looking at scrapping the WHOIS system and replacing it with something, something else. Yes. Uh, and that working group is actually in a, in a holding pattern right now. They submitted their initial report and their recommendations, and then that's kind of it at the moment. Unless, what, unless what exactly would replace what, – what is the concept of what would replace it? Because I think the, the second – you know, the the replacement aspect it has was partly generated, I think, by concerns over privacy, was it not? It it has a whole. I mean, they they un, the working group that looked at it understood that there's privacy issues, there's inter jurisdictional issues, like governance issues, there's law enforcement issues. They they had an understanding that that there's a whole lot of moving parts to this now, a lot more than were ever intended or ever taken into consideration during the first generation who is designed. And their recommendation then is we do a complete do-over and just redesign the entire protocol from the ground up in a way that that hopefully, you know, gets the consensus that's required to pass and still lets every sort of stakeholder group get the, get the things that they have to have. So, uh, sorry, go on. No, and so with all this going on, you've expressed two concerns. And I think, I think we'll, we'll come back to it after a break. But basically, your, your concerns are that, one, that there's some, there's some privacy issues that, that you, you object to in the current proposal in terms of how this change in terms of who is privacy is implemented and the scope of it. But at the same time, what, why are we doing this when we may just be replacing the whole thing? Why don't we just do it then? Yeah, and- I think that's yeah, I think that's the bigger piece. It's because every attempt at retrofitting or band-aiding a who is reform that you know this one or WDRP or it, it's just making it worse. It's making everything worse, and it's and and even more. It's not accomplishing anything. It's not accomplishing its stated goal. So we should just throw in the towel on trying to retrofit Band-Aids onto the current model and just save it for a complete ground-up redo. Which is, you know, anyone who's bought a, you know, has had a car for a certain length of time, they get to that point, you know, do I invest all this money in repairs or do I just get a new car? And that seems to be the question you're presenting. But the question I'm presenting is, um, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Cyberlaw Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics. So you know their SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Finding links to improve your rankings in the search engines is time-consuming and frustrating for many of us. The Hoth is the go-to company to help lighten your link-building load. Their white-label SEO was made specifically for agencies, in-house SEOs, and affiliates. The Hoth also offers high-quality custom local citation building to improve search rankings in Google's maps and localized results, providing fulfillment for some of the largest SEO companies in the world. The Hoth offers link and citation building services you can trust. Get $20 in link building or citation building credits free by going to thehoth.com slash radio, T-H-E-H-O-T-H dot com slash radio. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. 
The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and this is Bennett Kelly, and we're talking about who is privacy reformer, Mark Jeffovich, and dialing in live from Toronto. And for those of you um, listening, this is all background information on this issue is available as usual on our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress and com and check us out on Twitter at cyberlawradio. And in it, you will notice that Mark is actually a candidate for parliament in Canada's upcoming national election, running as libertarian. And we'll see that part of his campaign slogan is opposition to Canadian anti-terrorism bills. The, is it 51? C-51, yeah. Yes, and we actually had a show on that with Jim Ledger from our station a couple oh, weeks yeah. back. So definitely you know, check out Mark's information on the blog. So you've come out against the, the changes to the who is privacy. And I, I think they're the, one of the concerns expressed about the need for um, the changes is, is really to combat, you know, to address fraud and other questionable you know, businesses that are online that are able to use the privacy um, protection to avoid detection or even the you know, legal process. Right. And, you know, as you were saying that, I was just thinking that uh, I was just sort of reflecting on the number of domains we've taken down in the last week alone because they were running a phishing site or trying to, well, they're all phishing sites are the ones that we've been taking down. And, uh, you know, they all have who is privacy or they all have dummy account information. And we didn't have to have any who is reform policy to do the right thing and take all of these sites offline because they were violating our, our terms of service. So right. it's a it's a slam dunk in that sense. In a lot of cases, a lot of these, you know, bad actors can be taken down without mutilating these policies as they as they already exist i guess you know uh, as a as a lawyer and a practitioner you know sometimes you know, i find the the proxy um frustrating because you can't you don't know who's behind it and yes you, you know and so you, know, you have to file a lawsuit and uh issue subpoenas to get to that point and you know that's expensive and and you don't you, know, you can't connect dots necessarily and so you kind of have to go into a lawsuit blind, which isn't the best thing to do. Right. What's the old sort of legal, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of, uh, you know, maxim is never ask a question that you don't already know the answer to. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can understand that. I mean, we've just, we've just had a, a case last week where exactly that situation, lawyer in, uh, lawyer in the States, uh, acting on behalf of some trademark holders and, you know, someone not using our DNS, but on our registrar tag who is cloaked and I'm telling them, you know, use a, you know, file a UDRP and the block comes down. He says, yeah, do you realize how many throwaway names these guys are using across multiple registrars and how, how that adds up? So we went back and we took another look at the account. It's like, well, you know what? They're violating our terms of service anyway. So, we, we called them on that. So in multiple instances, in, in a lot of instances, if you have a straight shooting registrar that, you know, is operating pretty much on the up and up, there's, I, I don't want to say always, but there is in a lot of cases, a corresponding acceptable use policy or terms of service abuse that the, the registrar themselves has an effect that can be used to get a lot of this done than, uh, than having to file a lawsuit or file the UDRP in many cases. And, you know, how would you say that is the norm among registrars? And would it also apply in cases such as, you know, I deal a lot with cyber harassment cases. Right. I mean, that's something completely different because, you know, cyber harassment, whistleblowing, they're, they're in similar categories where these are people who have a very good reason for not wanting their details exposed. Or are you talking about people who are receiving cyber harassment or people? Well, who no, are I'm just trying to track down the harassers. Harassment. I'm trying to track yeah. down the harassers or, 
you know, sites that are, you know, revenge porn sites or things like that. Yeah. So in cases like that, then, then you start to get the full spectrum of responsiveness across registrars because pretty well every registrar has a requirement that you have to supply true and accurate data to them, even if you have who is privacy enabled. And in almost every case I've seen, I'm only going to stick the almost in in case there's a case that you know I'm unaware of. But pretty well, every case I've looked at where we have a bad actor, we have somebody who's doing something that's you know they're not supposed to be doing. They almost always have fake data underlying the proxy data, and then. Right. Does the registrar have the will to, to enforce their own acceptable use policy in that case? I mean, for, for in our cases, we can look at an account like that and say, this is fake. Who is, I mean, this is fake account data and that's a violation. And then they just supply us with some more fake data. It's like, no, now you've got to give us something that we can actually authenticate. And that's usually where they get stuck because they can't authenticate a lie. Right. Now, because of your people like such as yourself who were outspoken on this you know proposed change i can i can get quite a few comments during their comment period and in fact i just noticed on their website they you know they they'll post issue report on this rule on july 27th and you know they're tardy on that probably because of the volume other responses right. that you know, um, you and, and groups like respectourprivacy.com, which was a coalition against that, actually you know, encourage people to submit comments. Do you have a sense of what this, where this might actually go? No, I don't. You know, once I started becoming a little more outspoken about things, I, I've only recently started actually diving into the policy development process part of it, getting involved with the, the registrar stakeholder group a bit more than I have in the past and, and sitting on some of the, the working groups and stuff. So I don't yet have a feel for, you know, no matter how loudly registrars complain about a certain point, do they ever get their way or do they just always get, you know, overturned? I do know that the registrars were successful in getting the, the renewal part out of the who is accurate accuracy program. And that was, that was a minor victory, but a pretty big one. So no, to answer your question, I, I don't know which way this is going to go. It'd be interesting to see. I mean, you know, what, I don't know what the ICANN's history is on this either. So it'd be interesting to see to what extent you know they have a history or how how responsive they they are. And and it comes at a time, I think you might agree, where a lot of people are, are talking about ICANN's accountability. And do you think yeah. this is a test or it's just it's just one small issue? I, I think it's. It, I don't think it's. This is pure speculation, and I could easily be wrong. I don't Which, think I can use this as a gigantic test of their transparency and accountability. I think to them, it's just another small policy cog in a larger policy machine that they have to. It's another ball they've got to keep in the air that they're juggling, and it's not a big deal. That's just my take on it. I, it's very possible I'm wrong on it. So you mean to suggest that ICANN isn't at a standstill now with everyone listening to the show? <laughs> That's right. Everything, everything is halted. Everybody is watching, <laughs> listening to this show right now. But so I, I, I guess you know it's going to be interesting to see how this comes out. But it, is there any indication when the phase two aspect of you know revamping the system entirely might move forward? The whole who is thing? I yeah. don't think there's a timeline on it because I remember asking that on the, the registrar stakeholder mailing list a couple weeks ago when we first started when I you know, when I was submitting my comments on the, the privacy enhancements and nobody really knew. They you know, the last group reported and they you know, I can't accepted their report and that is it. So you could get a sense. I haven't gone and done this myself yet, but we could look at the agendas for the upcoming ICANN meetings and see if, if this is coming up. Right now, ICANN is doing a review of the Who is Accuracy 
program specifically. So registrars are, are coordinating their comments and feedback on that. But I haven't seen anything on, you know, a larger ground up creation of the next, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, what are they calling the next generation RDP or something like that? Right. Yeah. Is, a, yeah. RDS. Naturally, an a four letter um, entity comes up with another acronym. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, if people want to learn more about um, you and your operations, where, where should they go? Well, we operate at easydns.com. Um, and uh, like I said, we, uh, we also run the blog at uh, blog.easydns.org is where I put on the tinfoil hat and start ranting. And uh, those are the main, the main places to get in touch with us. And uh, what, what type of response have you got to your comments so far? They've been overwhelmingly supportive. Most people say, you know, thanks for for trying to make this point or standing up for us. There are also dissenting opinions. There's the occasional person who's saying, no, there's a legitimate requirement for this. Uh, And that's – but it's overwhelmingly sort of on the same side as we are. But maybe we're preaching to the converted. Who knows? And and for our Canadian listeners, um, where should they go to check out your candidacy? Oh, my candidacy yeah. right now, it's uh, markjeftovic.ca, which just re- redirects to my page on the libertarian.ca website. But I just took delivery of my my fancy WordPress theme, so I'll be putting something up um, over the next few days to have a standalone site there. Well, we'll be sure to check it out. And your, your riding is what area? So I'm running in the Parkdale High Park riding, which is part of the Toronto area. And, and um, uh, how many? And so, what what percentage do you think you need to get to get to get elected? You know, I was talking about this with uh, a friend of mine who's who's dubbed himself my campaign manager, and uh, I think there's about 110,000 registered voters in the area. And he says, looking at the breakdown of the parties and stuff, if you got 28,000, 30,000 votes, you could win it. I don't know. That's, oh, that's, that's a pretty that's a pretty big stretch, though. It's a huge <laughs> one. Well, you start with one. So yeah, well, I mean, my like- mom doesn't even live in Parkdale, so I mean, I don't even have a guaranteed vote there. So, <laughs> well, I want to thank you. Definitely, everyone, check out his blog, Easy DNS, and the very useful information on what is going on in the domain space. And check out. And also, do you want to plug your band? Oh, my band broke up last oh. summer. The Parkdale hookers are no more, but it's um, hard to keep you, hookers together. Right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Maybe we'll re, maybe we'll reunite for the Parkdale, you know, federal election thing. But uh, we did put out a video last year and a and a new record, so that's on, you know, uh, Spotify and stuff like that. And the videos at ParkdaleHookers.ca. Well, I think it, yeah, I think you should because you know hookers and politics they do tend to go together. I know, <laughs> I know. It's like <laughs> toast and butter, yeah. All right. Well, best of luck to you and everyone. Check out Marky's on Twitter at Stunt Pope. And I want to thank you. And um, we're going to take a break. And we come back. We're going to talk about the last days of the House of Blues on the Sunset Strip after these okay, well, messages. Thanks a lot. Thanks, thanks Mark. a lot for having me on. Okay. Take care. Bye. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis. SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. Internet Marketing Inc. designs fully integrated digital programs that improve brand experiences and grow businesses through valuable data insights and strategy across all types of media. Paid, owned, and earned. Their digital experts nimbly adapt strategy by providing you a comprehensive view of your brand's online audience and program performance. If you are looking for a data-driven approach to online marketing and advertising, call Internet Marketing Inc. today at 866-563-0620 or visit internetmarketinginc.com.
When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And um, Monday night was a historic night in Los Angeles. It was the last night of the House of Blues on the Sunset Strip as the historic facility is going to be torn down for a luxury hotel. And with us is Nigel Stanley, who was there at Conception and uh, also helped set up the House of Blues in Las Vegas. And so he is one of the kings of the Sunset Strip. Nigel, you're with us. I am, gentlemen. How are you? Good morning. Great to have you. And so, Nigel, you know, I'm looking at the, op- the grand opening, House of Blues, April 30th, with James Brown, John Lee Hooker. Isaac Hayes, Clarence Brown. I mean, what a way to open. So, what, what And do don't say? forget, actually, don't forget, um, Aerosmith as well was involved in that opening night. Wow. So, what are so some of your favorite So, basically, the opening, huh? Sorry. Good. What, what are some of your favorite memories from the, your years at the House of Blues? Well, first of all, I'm glad in your introduction you said the House of Blues is closing on the Sunset Strip which is exactly right. It's not closing at all as a company, number one. And number two, L.A. will have a House of Blues probably within the next two years. They're looking at signing leases right now. This is purely a business decision. They were offered a vast amount of money to move from the location they're on. And I think, as all Americans know, in the end, sadly, that trumps everything. <laughs> so well, they, they will entertainment move, they'll move to another location. Entertainment in L.A. is moving. You know, I mean, I don't know if where you'll end up, but I know right now downtown L.A. is is completely different than it was when you opened in 1990. Exactly. I, I know they're looking there. They have not, nothing has been decided. They're looking at downtown. I'm sure they're looking everywhere at the whole of L.A. Who knows, and, maybe Inglewood. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but they'll definitely, I, I'm, I'm imagining that within the next two years there'll be an opening somewhere in L.A. And what's interesting with the deal, it, it, everything within the House of Blues has been kept. The House of Blues owns it all, from every piece of artwork to every fridge to every glass piece of glassware. So it's all just moved to the new location. It just we need to find a location. Yeah. So when you, when, you know, I've been following Twitter, and if you go to HOB's at, at HOP Los Angeles for the House of Blues on Sunset, there's a hashtag HOP Memories, and there's been a lot of people posting old photos, and I've seen oh, some of you. I've seen some of you, and how oh, cool! <laughs> and uh, but so, what are some of your memories that you that kind of stay with you well, today? My memory, yeah, some of my memories might might have been different, but what is interesting, we we had an um, alumni event a couple of weeks ago. And, and posted some of these memories. And what I found rather delightful that many of the former staff members and current staff members said their best memory was the day they signed and their first night to work at the House of Blues, which wow. is a rather, love, rather lovely thing to hear and to say. But to get back to my memories, uh, there, were, there were so many. I mean, obviously opening night, opening week was incredible. I think from a musical standpoint, probably 
Eric Clapton was pretty memorable. He owned the House of Blues for three nights. He made all oh. the rules. If I remember correctly, he demanded that the tickets would be $35 a ticket and no VIPs. So it was first come, first serve. It wasn't like the first 10 rows would be people who had connections or money. So that, I thought, was rather well done. It made my life difficult for those three days because one of my main parts of my business was to look after the VIPs. So I had everyone in the world calling me to get in, and they couldn't believe it when I said, well, I'm not, I'm not in control. Eric Clapton's people are in control. <laughs> and if for so those that, who aren't that, familiar with the House of Blues, it, it's seated, what, about 1,500? Yes, total. If, um, if that, the, yeah, that, that includes the upper floor looking down on the stage and, yes. of course, the 10,000 square foot downstairs. And, uh, but um, that, that, that's also in a uh, probably not in the seating mode. It's that would that's be standing, yeah. mainly standing downstairs and then seating on the edges and seating upstairs. And then above that was a private club called the Foundation Room, which had the green room for the acts. Exactly, and that a- area had the green rooms, and then of course you had the Foundation Room, which to Isaac, the creator of the House of Blues, who's not with the company anymore. He's he's in India with his guru or his, yeah, his former guru. Well, the guru has passed away, but the new guru. The whole concept was to give back to the community that we were in. So the idea of the foundation room was that a percentage of money earned by the foundation would go to inner city school kids, musical programs, music education, and, and it was a... I believe a wonderful thing to do, and promoting and, racial harmony through music. And I, I, so, I and you also did the yeah. homeless. You fed the homeless on Thanksgiving. Oh, we fed know, the homeless I, I, every I, year. That's I, that's grown. Yeah, I think I think we now have three seatings at right. Thanksgiving. I did that one year. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's delightful. I yeah. I do find it rather. It was. I remember the first time we ever did it, and I was new to LA. And it was just it was a wonderful experience. And now it's got more organized. We actually bus people in. We bus, you know, all, we help all uh, organizations that, that that work with the homeless. We send buses. So it's not just local homeless people who wander in. It's, it's so a lot more organized. There's three, there's three memories I'd, I'd like to see if I can draw your memory on. One was you, you, had, a, you had these two out-of-towners from Washington stop by the vice president and the president of the United States of America one one night. And uh, do you remember that? That's night? right. We had Clinton. Yes, we had, we had, if you're talking about Clinton, played his, his saxophone on stage. That was my first time there. Yeah, that was rather wonderful. And then, of course, we had Obama in the, in the very early stages of his, of his um, run for the presidency. So, yeah, it's been, yeah, it's been wonderful. And uh, a memory is so I, you know, as you know, we, we have a mutual friend, Mayor Doctor Dentist Doctor Mayor Shami, and he and I were involved in, in political fundraising for the, the Democratic Party, and so we we had a number of events at the Foundation Room. Actually, be, I even had my fortieth birthday party there. But um, one event that I remember with you was we had a fundraiser for Representative Patrick Kennedy, Ted Kennedy's son, who was a congressman from Rhode Island. And for listeners, Nigel is was born in South Africa. His family were, were very active in the anti-apartheid movement. And I, I always remember you telling Patrick about seeing his uncle, Robert, when he came to South Africa. And yeah, uh, it, he was quite moved by your telling that story. I was, well, when you and I spoke last night, I, it moved me that he remembered and that it moved him, that it meant so much to him. Because as you said, he was a young boy when his dad was sadly and horrifically assassinated. And and then I told him the story how, as a young man, I was only 16 then, I believe, but my sister was older, and she was an organizer uh, of NewSAT, which was a university student's organization. Uh, there was an anti-apartheid group. And Robert Kennedy visited the, the uh, university, and it was late evening, and he stood on the roof of a car. And we were, there was 
thousands of students. Robert Kennedy climbs up on this car. His security is rather nervous. And all the secret South African secret police were roaming around. And he suddenly started singing a very common, wonderful American folk song, We Shall Overcome. But in South Africa, that song was banned. It was illegal. But they couldn't do anything about it because here was this American politician standing up. They couldn't stop him. And we all sang along with him. And there was a, a very moving, incredible moment for all of us as young people that this man gave us this opportunity. This American politician had the guts to stand up and go against the South African government and started a simple thing singing a song, you know, We Shall Overcome. And it was very moving. And now that you told me how it affected Patrick, I was very, I was very touched that I could share that with him. Yes, it was, it was I mean, all of it, you, you, there was about 20 of us there. And um, yeah. everyone was just in, in awe as you told the story. And we watched Patrick, you know, and his, how it affected him. Um, I, I'd like you to kind of take a, a, a figurative journey um, now you you went to Las Vegas and you you opened the the House of Blues and the Foundation Room there at the uh -huh. um, mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm blanking on the hotel. Well, that was yeah, that was my third. Let's see, one, that was the third House of Blues. Yeah. Yes, and and so and sure. while you no, were in, sorry. I'm sorry. while you were in Las Vegas, you had a constant companion named Frankie. Can you tell us who Frankie was? Frankie, <laughs> I think Frankie made me famous. Frankie was my pug. <laughs> <laughs> Frankie was this slightly overweight, or no, I used to call him Big Bones, but as in most pugs, he, food, he was controlled by food, so he was a large young man. And we lived in Mandalay Bay, which of course, casinos, especially in those days, were very anti-dog, right. or dogs. Frank and I lived in this fabulous suite, I was blessed to be able to do that, for about two and a half years in Las Vegas, in the Mandalay Bay. So you were used this, to Frankie traveling with you everywhere from Vegas. Frankie went everywhere with me, every opening. In fact, when he sadly, uh, at the age of 11, was diagnosed with cancer of the stomach and then the lungs, I blamed him for the lung cancer because of the cigars he smoked. But I took the blame for the stomach cancer, feeding him too much of anything, human food. Sadly, we tend to kill our dogs with love, which is something I've right. not to do with but, the new one. But, but Frank, yeah, Frank made Angeles. me famous. You brought him back to Los Angeles. And I, I think you have the, this is the best story. I think it defines L.A. in ways that many, any other story doesn't. Nigel worked at the House of Blues and right across the street was a, a very popular club that was part of the, the Mondrian Hotel, a hotel called the Sky Bar. And Nigel walked across the street with Frankie and he was stopped by a bouncer. And so Nigel was walking across the street and he would stop by the bouncer and then he explained that, you know, he could not enter this very hot club, which there were long lines to get in, but Nigel had no problem getting in because obviously he was with a canine. And Nigel in his perfect South African accent said, don't you know who this is? It's Frankie from Men in Black. And as soon as he said that the dog was a celebrity, you know, of course he was lying, the bouncer immediately let him in. So I, I just find that to be quite a interesting summary of the life and affairs in um, California here in, in Tinseltown. But I, I do have some, fortunately, since we lost Nigel, I want to thank him. But I do have a couple of quick shout outs. And one of us is to our esteemed producer, Brasco, who is celebrating his 10th anniversary and working here with Webmaster Radio. Um, this is show number 192 two we've done together here and just think of how many other shows he's done so uh, a thousand or so great shows and this show couldn't work without him and the station couldn't work without him so congratulations to you brasco um job well done also want to give a shout out to my alma mater american university where president obama spoke today um he perfectly specifically chose american because that is where president john f kennedy spoke to start the nuclear test ban negotiations. And so he's kind of bringing it full circle to talk about the Iran treaty there. So that is a uh, uh, congratulations to AU for having that historic moment. Um, also want to 
give a shout out to John Oliver um, for recognizing the plight of D.C. statehood and the lack of voting rights. We actually and he gave a, a very good profile to Eleanor Holmes Norton. Great clip in in the segment, and we actually had Eleanor Holmes Norton on in 2013 on the 212th anniversary of D.C.'s um, disenfranchisement, disenfranchisement and loss of voting representation. Finally, a shout out to Pete Cronowit on the release of his new record in video. It is on our blog. He uh, he also is a CLRB alum. So um, I want to thank everyone for joining us today. Please check out our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. Um, check us out on Twitter at cyberlawradio. Let us know what you think. Tell us anything you want to talk about. We're happy to cover it. And then check out the Internet Law Center at internetlawcenter.net. We're a full-service internet firm, and we've been rated one of the top um, internet law firms in the country, including um, one of the most influential digital media firms, according to LA Press, LA um, Business Journal. So please check us out at internetlawcenter.net, and then come back here every Wednesday at 10 a.m. on Webmaster Radio um, FM, or download our mobile app. And take us anywhere you go. Happy to go to lunch with you or everywhere you want. We'll always be there. So for joining us, I'll come back next week and have another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Court is adjourned. Have a good week. This is Bennett Kelly. All the best to you. This has been a presentation of webmasterradio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.webmasterradio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.